Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Tiffany and I give our all to this podcast with curating information, researching platforms, and creating a show with the best up-to-date information we can. We have a vested interest in the growth and health of your business and hope you feel the same way about us. We've joined Patreon. Become a patron for as little as $5 a month and you'll gain access to our community, exclusive behind the scenes, speaker access, publicity for your business, webinar discount opportunities, and more. Please support us so that we can continue supporting you. Oh, and you'll have to forgive me. I'm just going to be cough drops, all cough drops cough because drops. we have um, really bad <clears throat> pollen issue right now. And we have Toronto <clears throat> forest fire issues. So that's all. It's a mess. It's that's nothing. All. You know, the world's on fire. It's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so any who's um, hello and welcome to the business behind small business. Whether you're selling or staying, we're here to remind you that just because you own a business doesn't mean you are a business owner. We are your hosts, Savannah Stone. And Tiffany Kao. And we're going to get down into the nitty gritty to walk you through the more finite details of entrepreneurship, revealing the dots between startup and success. No one gets to a million without getting a little dirty. There's a lot of business behind small business, so let's get to it. Today, <clears throat> today we're going to be delving into the concept of value pricing. If you're a business owner or entrepreneur looking to maximize your profits and create lasting customer relationships, this episode is for you. Many of us started our businesses with a cost-based pricing, which is okay for some at first and for some it's okay like always yeah. <laughs> but but then you'll find your competitors are soaring faster to levels of success you've not reached yet or maybe you have it you have but it's been a chaotic topsy-turvy ride you're not sure your heart can handle much more of so how do you create a level of value and respect for your products or service that don't make you feel like you're going to undercut um, you're getting undercut mm -hmm. or you're undercutting a client. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about value pricing. What does that mean? Is it beneficial to you? And what are the best steps to transition your pricing without upsetting your clientele? Before we begin, please note our disclaimer. This is available in both our show notes and on our website and should be referred to before and or after this podcast. Very well said. I feel like I should be doing like smooth listening. <laughs> I'll take a more newscaster. No, I don't. Like my Although you have a much better voice for like, yeah, smooth listening. Yeah, like smooth jazz, 98.9. I can see you being <laughs> Delilah. I could be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it could be. My you have to get a little closer to the yeah, mic I can't, a little bit. I, I know. I can't, I can't talk as loudly as I would like to talk. Um, but this is as loud as I'm going to get. So sorry, guys. <laughs> so let's talk about value pricing. Mm -hmm. uh, I love this topic. Yeah. Uh, I discovered value pricing for myself, played around with my business. I think as you do as well. Yep. And I love it, which, although it's funny, in our industry, it's a little bit uncommon. Because yes. most people do like hourly pricing. Yes. All the time. And however, you can also do value pricing with hourly pricing. 
I will say that too. Mm, we could, we could think about that, that too, right? Mm-hmm. So I like the fact that things get cut off from time, but well, mm-hmm. maybe that'll be our, you know, yes. point counterpoint. Yes. <laughs> so what is value pricing? Value pricing is essentially just a strategy where your, your uh, price is actually based on the customer's perceived value of your goods and service. Um, and that is where we're going to start today. Yep. The perceived value. Mm-hmm. So I went around online when I was doing research for this, and I found this thing on, I think, Harvard uh, Business Review, where mm. they were talking about value pricing. So the, the, the articles be linked in our show notes. And one of the things that they brought up is this thing called a value stick, which I thought was kind of funny. It's oh, like, God. it's almost like they couldn't figure out a better word for this, like better name for this. I they know. just gave up. The value stick. stick. Well, that's Harvard Minds for you. <laughs> <laughs> they spent too much energy thinking about other things. Totally. Yeah. They didn't have any left over for this. No. So the value stick I thought was interesting way of like visually being able to see kind of what gets like what's involved in value pricing. Um, and of course it's an article, so you can actually see it visually as well, but just think about these like uh, layers and the very top layer is what they called uh, what the customer is willing to pay. Mm-hmm. The next layer down is price. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of your company's margins and what you want to make. And then below that, of course, is cost. So that's how much you're paying for it. Mm-hmm. And then on a very bottom level is willingness to sell, which is what your supplier is willing to sell you for it. Mm-hmm. And um, I would say that I think in a service-based business, since you don't really have suppliers, it's probably your employees' costs. Mm-hmm. Right. And your overhead, your hidden costs, right. like all, all yeah. of those things that go inside of your overall cost. Right, right. Sorry. I was thinking like the largest thing would be like labor. So it's really like what what mark like what price can you actually recruit your employees at? Right. Right. What the market demand, what they're willing to work for mm-hmm. instead. So I know that you're gonna go into really a lot of great details about how to implement value pricing. Mm-hmm. So I'm not gonna go over those exact same things. I'm mm-hmm. thinking about more like high level, overarching like highlights to kind of keep in mind if you're thinking about adopting value pricing for your business. So first thing to know is value pricing is not the same thing as fixed price, Mm -hmm. not the same thing. So think about it this way, right? So if your price formula, if you could write it out in a formula and your approach to it, what you would do with a fixed price is you would start with, you'll start thinking about the service you have, then you're gonna think about the cost, then you're gonna think about the price, then you'll think about the value and then the client last. Whereas with value pricing, you basically flip that around. So you mm-hmm. actually think about the client first, then you think about the value you're providing, then you think about the price, and then last, you also consider cost and the service that you're you're offering. Mm-hmm. So you see that kind of like turns it a little bit upside mm-hmm. down where your focus is a little bit different, and that's why you get a diff- you may end up getting a different outcome if you're doing value pricing versus fixed price. Agreed. The other thing I would say is that if you're thinking about doing value pricing, you have to be really careful. Uh, if you're a startup, probably not a great thing to start <laughs> with. If you're really new to your industry or you're really new to business, mm-hmm. not the best thing to start with because you're probably going to eat it. Mm-hmm. You do need to know your market really well, including your <clears throat> customers. So one of the things I would say with value pricing is don't forget, you don't want to price yourself out of the market. Right. right. So yes, you may de- you may determine that this is a great price for the value you're providing, but if it prices you out of the market, then there's no point because nobody's going to buy from you. Mm-hmm. Plus, clearly, the customer can go somewhere else to get the same value. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so when you're doing this, you know, not only do you want to consider kind of what the competitors, your competitors are charging, but also think about what your customers alternatives could be. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not that it's just, it's not as um, linear as in like, I'm just going to look at, you know, ABC company next door that does exactly the same thing I do. Right. Um, there are other things that the customer can clearly just not buy from either of you and go off and do something else. Mm -hmm. And that's something to kind of consider as well as you're kind of trying to set your value pricing, because one of the important thing is you don't want to end up not being able to sell anything because you're too expensive. The other thing about value pricing is remember one size does not fit all. Mm, nope. And, um, it's better off if you're going to go with value pricing that you're actually applying your value price to a niche or a particular segment. So in this case, that's why I say, if you're a startup, don't start this way because most likely you're probably still struggling with what your niche is. Mm -hmm. And so you can have many multiple niches, which we established before Savannah has many niches in her business. <laughs> Whereas I'm kind of like, you know, be known for one thing, but Hey, clearly it's working, right? Mm -hmm. So you can have many niches, but if you're going to establish a value price, make sure you do it on, each niche and not do one blanket price for all the different niches you yep. have. Yes. Right. And a lot of that goes into the fact that with every niche, you probably have different customers that mm -hmm. you're appealing to and that you're working with. And so that one size fits all just doesn't work in this case. Absolutely. So you have to be really, really careful about that. Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing is rather than believing that whatever value price you come up with is going to be perfect on your first shot, just, I'm just going to break it down for you. Like it's not. <laughs> no, it's not going to work. Just be prepared that you're going to have to test it. And you're going to keep adjusting it until you kind of find the perfect sweet spot. Nobody gets it home run on the first try when it comes to value pricing. And if somebody says they do, they're definitely lying to you. Mm -hmm. There's just no way, you know, now maybe if you have, like, if you're a billion dollar company and you have billions of dollars to do market research, maybe, but even then they still have to do tests to see if their pricing is the right one. So what you can do is you do your best to do all the research with the information you have at hand, but the best way you can actually test your value pricing is to actually send it out to the market and see yep. what the reaction is. So you can do this in a couple of ways, right? You can actually do ads maybe with like two different pricing and see which one has a reaction mm -hmm. or you do the old fashioned way where you're sitting across from your prospect and you see them say yes a little too quickly. And then you realize you priced yourself too low. So you better up that for the next round. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that happens too. But the point is, is that it's not going to be perfect on the first try. So don't spend too much time trying to find the exact right price. You do have to go out there and test it mm -hmm. to see what, what the market will take. And the last thing is with value pricing, keep in mind that there's a lot of way to increase your value and therefore increase your value price. It's not just about adding more stuff, like adding more services or adding more products to your product already. It's not about that. You can actually add value by making, being a better brand, mm -hmm. having a better experience. Maybe you have better customer service. Maybe if you have a brick and mortar store, you have better design in your store. You have a better experience when somebody walks in. Maybe your uh, website e-commerce navigation is a lot better and easier to do than your next person. Um, there's also the quality of product. Maybe you have a better sourcing of the quality that goes into your product. Um, there's also speed, there's convenience ease, packaging, there's a lot of things that people will value and pay extra for that may not be just a, let me just keep adding more stuff into my already stuffy stuff, stuff. stuff. <laughs> our stuff Thank you. Our stuff you didn't leave stuff. me hanging on that. Cause I was like, mm, I don't know I where said, I'm going to go with I the end of the sentence. Stuff, stuff. stuff. 
Uh, so keep in mind, right? Value pricing, like anything else, price is subjective, right? So it is subjective to your customer's preference, their perception, their situation, their past experience. There is a lot of subjectivity to it all. And just know that really, like you're going to run into that too, right? You're going to run into people who's going to say you're too high, too low, whatever, mm -hmm. because they're past. But eventually you'll find, you'll find your thing, you'll find your place. Just know that the real difference when it comes to value pricing is that you're thinking about your customer first. That's what you use to start determining yeah. what your price is. And then after that, when you then you think about how you're going to package your services in a way that actually speaks to the things that your customers value. So then you can actually command the optimal price you want to actually deliver something that actually truly solves their problem. It's not about you. It's about them. That's yep. how I'm going to say, and that's how I'm going to end my segment. I like it. Mm. All right. Well, this is exciting for me. I love, I love talking about value pricing almost as much as processes. <laughs> <laughs> almost. We said, you know, we need a shot class, not so much as the mug, but every time we say the word process. Oh my God. Could you imagine all the hospitals around the area being like, wow, we've got this influx of people with alcohol toxicity. Like what is going on? It's because all these people listening to me say process, I don't know, <laughs> 25, 50 times. Um, anyway, so I'm just going to reiterate a little bit what uh, Tiffany was, was touching on about value pricing as being a strategy. It focuses on pricing products or services based on the value that it delivers to customers rather than simply considering the production cost. So some of the things that I say are just going to overlap what she says, Same but that I, say. I have to say then it. I'll say things that she'll say. Yes. It's just, I still got to say it. Repetition is yes, good. Absolutely. Right? How many times you're supposed to hear something before you 50. <laughs> <laughs> or is that children? Oh, okay. I was thinking a number like seven or eight, but apparently Savannah's case, you'll have to repeat the thing 50 times. So we're applying the same methodology here. <laughs> here we go. Yeah. Anyway, it entails um, setting prices that align with the perceived value that the customers receive. It can be a combination of quality, uniqueness, convenience, or other factors. So this is touching again on that experience overall, holistically. Um, value pricing emphasizes the benefits and outcomes customers derive from a product or service rather than its features alone. In today's market where customers are seeking meaningful experiences and value added solutions, value pricing has really emerged as a powerful approach to win loyalty and drive profitability. And, you know, I say that because I do feel like more people in the last, I guess, 15 to 20 years, maybe, um, I honestly, since the inception of social media in the mainstream, I feel like we've all kind of started going towards value pricing. Mm. I'm going to touch on that a little bit later. Uh, so how does value pricing differ, differ from traditional cost-based pricing models that many businesses still employ? Traditional cost-based pricing relies on calculating production costs, adding a desired profit margin, setting prices accordingly. This approach has its merits. It often overlooks the value customers place on a product or service. And as Tiffany mentioned, the value pricing flips the script. It places the customer's perception of value at the center. 
Understand and leverage the perceived value. Businesses can charge prices that reflect the benefits customers receive and create a win-win scenario where both parties are satisfied. So you're feeling like valued. That. Yeah. So you're feeling valued for the service that you're giving that you value at a higher rate than maybe the person across the hall from you. And the customer is also feeling like they got a good deal because they are feeling as though their experience is at that level. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's review some of the practical steps or strategies that a business can take to implement value pricing effectively. But before we do, know that implementing value pricing requires a deep understanding of your target market, customers, your product, and or your service. So, yeah, so if you're a startup, mm -hmm. beware. Exactly. If you're a startup, uh, and this is not your first startup, I think it puts you in a different position. That's very true. Mm -hmm. But if you're a startup, like really new to all of this stuff, you may want to be in the market for a little while mm -hmm. to bit better ascertain what, what you can and cannot do with your pricing. Mm. So firstly, you have to understand the customer's perspective. Take the time to listen to your customers and identify the plan, their pain points, desires, mm -hmm. aspirations, maybe even use those words. Um, you know, conduct surveys, interviews, focus groups, gain insights to what they truly value. It might not be what you think it is. It's usually always not what you think it is, mm -hmm. especially if you're like one of those people who like you're, you're the technician, meaning mm -hmm. that you've always, you've been in a career doing what you're doing and what you're selling now. Most time it is not what you think it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Um, identify unique value propositions. Determine what sets your product or service apart from competitors. Highlight the specific benefits and outcomes it offers that customers cannot easily find elsewhere. Next, segment your market. Identify customer segments that value your offerings differently. Create pricing tiers or packages that cater to their specific needs and willingness to pay. So if you're a service base, this is great. You can have like a, a gold, a bronze, a gold, a platinum, or however way it is that you want to, you want to mention it. Um, you could also do that with your products. Maybe this product doesn't have bronze, gold, or platinum in it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you have a candle with gold in it? Sold. You know, whatever it may be, but maybe this product doesn't have the uh, organic. I mean, that's, I guess that's actually really good. Organic, the difference between organic and non-organic, you know, organic's always more expensive because there's more that goes into, into growing those uh, vegetables mm -hmm. and then, and then, you know, getting those vegetables and, and making sure that they're still not, that they're not rotted. So of course they're going to be more expensive. Well, I think you're on, you're onto on something about the gold, silver, and uh, wait, what was it? Gold, Plat platinum, platinum, Bronze. bronze. I went gold, from bronze, bronze, gold, platinum. I don't oh, know, no, whatever. Okay. Anyways, you get the idea. But I mean, you were touching on like, which is also a great subject to talk about sometime, which is like anchor pricing, mm -hmm. right? Why it's important to have three choices and the psychology and everything be behind that. Mm -hmm. But still, today is about value pricing. Yes. We'll talk we shall about continue. That time. Um, communicate your value effectively. Clearly articulate the value your product or service provides through persuasive messaging and storytelling. This goes into the branding and story branding to me is like the best way to brand uh, because people want to know where this came from and why did this come from? What is that wherever. book? Is it, uh, is it Donald Miller's book? Is it tell a story brand? I think it's called 
Nope. Okay. Uh, I may <laughs> be making that up. No, no, no. I'm not making it up. Mm. But there's definitely a book that I, I learned sure. about StoryBrand. And it's, I think it's his name is Donald Miller. And it's a great book that'll tell you about storytelling, mm-hmm. how to make your brand into a story, why that's so effective when mm-hmm. it comes to your messaging and also helping you stand out, right? Oh, and yeah. creating that value, perceived value. It, it goes right into that. Yeah. It goes right into that perceived value. Um, then you have to test and iterate, uh, continuously monitor customer reactions and gather feedback, adjust your pricing strategies based on the insights gained to optimize valued value delivery and profitability. So mm-hmm. if you look at your company as a non ending beta test, you're on the right path. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that doesn't get sad enough. <laughs> People think at some point they'll be done. No. Learning and growing. <laughs> no. <laughs> silly, silly people. No, it's just like life. You know, if you're not growing, you're dying. Um, your business should continue to evolve along with the times, along with the uh, area around you. You know, culture changes, everything changes, and so should your business. Um, do not become Toys R Us or Blockbuster. <laughs> What would Blockbuster do? Make bracelets. Uh, Businesses that embrace value pricing can experience several significant benefits. Firstly, it enhances profitability by capturing a fair share of the value created for customers instead of competing solely on price. You know, like those mattress sales uh, of of your where I'm slashing. Who can price. be lower? Yes. So, to cost. Exactly. Businesses can differentiate themselves based on the unique value they provide, which allows for higher profit margins. So, secondly, value pricing fosters stronger customer relationships and loyalty by aligning prices with the perceived value customers receive. And I haven't said this word yet, but it all comes down to experience and I'm going to get to it, but I'm just so excited about talking about it that I just mentioned it right now for you. So preview, we're going to talk about experience. Anyway, now I'm going to transition from cost pricing to value pricing. It can be a delicate process, uh, especially when you want to avoid upsetting your clients. I mean, Hey, you could have been cost pricing or rather you, yes, you could have been cost pricing or fixed price, for a very long time, and now you're pivoting your company 10 years later, let's say, mm-hmm. not that I would know anything about mm-hmm. that, um, to value pricing. Uh, how do you do that? So first, you got to educate yourself. Gain a deep understanding of the value your product or service provides to your client. Uh, maybe don't wait 10 years, uh, but um, you know, identify the specific benefits, the outcomes, the unique advantages that your clients are going to derive from working with you. Uh, perform a value assessment. Evaluate the value that your clients currently are receiving compared to your cost-based pricing. Um, identify areas where the value you provide exceeds the price they pay. Mm. Just that. Yeah. I mean, get out them spreadsheets. If you don't know Excel very well right now, you're going to. Um, communicate this change. When you're ready to transition to value pricing, it's important that you proactively communicate the change to your clients more than once. Um, maybe not 50 times, but definitely do it quite a few times. Uh, explain the reason behind the shift and how it's going to benefit them in the long run. Because if you're going to raise your prices, you got to explain yourself. 
right? Well, if you want that customer loyalty to be around. For sure, for sure. <laughs> and, you know, make it exciting and fun. You've pivoted your business so that you can give them more, so you can mm -hmm. add more to the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and now, because you can't offer more to the conversation, this is what's going to, this is what your new pricing is going to Yeah, your with. messaging will depend largely on how much you're raising the prices, right? Absolutely. So if you go from fixed price to value price and the percentage isn't very different, like less than 3%, mm -hmm. you can probably get away with like a very simple, straightforward, yeah. it's time that our pricing is adjusted to the current economical state, whatever the yeah. case may be, right? But mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're doing a pretty substantial change, I think you do owe it to your customers who's mm -hmm. been following you for so long to have an actual explanation that they can understand and that they can get on board with. They may not be very happy All right. in the beginning, but at least you know, you're talking to them like a human being and, you know, appreci appreciating, um, appreciating is not the word, uh, you're thinking about their feelings. Yes. And um, speaking about humans, uh, you may also want to consider, depending on your clientele. Now, if you're a service-based business and you have a clientele that's manageable, maybe have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with each one of them. Uh, at some point to talk to them about their needs, their happiness level, what they would like to see in the future. You know, they could be your, your market test just as much as a regular market test could be. Mm -hmm. If you have a clientele that is either transactionary or transient or maybe it's just way too big for you to uh, be able to speak to them on a one-on-one -on -one basis. If you can, maybe put in a, a customer service, um, people who could work as a customer service so that if your clients have extra questions, they can call that customer service and get that human-to-human -human touch where it they can be, I guess, soothed into your new pricing. So, um, Next, provide evidence and case studies. So this goes back to the whole market research. You're going to have to share case studies and testimonials that demonstrate that value that you have delivered to other clients um, is going to work with your new uh, priced model, your newly priced model. Mm -hmm. This is going to help build trust and confidence uh, in your value-based approach. Offer options and flexibility. Provide different pricing options to accommodate to the varying needs and budgets of your clients. This may include tiered packages. This goes back to the whole bronze, gold, silver, platinum, whatever it is, titanium, <laughs> or customizable solutions. How many metals can, you How many metals can I think of? Mm, alloys. Um, th this will allow your clients to choose the level of value they desire. Next, offer a transition period. Uh, for example, when I uh, when I changed my pricing, I gave everybody a six months head up heads up. Maybe it, maybe it was too much. I don't know, but everybody appreciated. I didn't lose any clients. Look at that. Nobody likes to be shocked. No, not surprised. Not. So no. even if they get slightly like annoyed when the pricing takes effect, at least they can't be like, "Well, she didn't tell me. Yeah, he didn't tell me. Or right. He didn't tell me. Absolutely." Yeah. And um, and funny enough, most of my clients were like, "It's about time." <laughs> And then that's right. how you know you priced yourself too I low. I was priced too low. <laughs> huh. So Those kind of flags yeah. will tell you you're priced too low. Absolutely. So next, you want to provide exceptional customer service. This is a time when you really don't want to be losing anybody, even if it's really not going to make that big of a difference. It is a big difference. Whether you have a $50 client or a $5 million client, they're all clients. Uh, there's a saying, I don't remember what it was, like from the mouse to the king, everyone has a role. In a, in a play, oh, the play, the play. If you know what I'm talking about, let me know. It's a, it's a song. I don't know. I'm, I'm going Broadway here. Mm -hmm. Anyway, 
But it's true. Are you gonna break out like everyone has a role to play from the mouse to the king. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. regardless of what kind of client you have, you want to make sure that everyone is feeling like they are being heard. Agreed. Maybe you can't make them all happy, but they need to feel like they're being heard. Yes. Um, monitor and adjust. Continuously monitor your client feedback and adjust your value pricing strategy accordingly. Be open to making refinements based on client preferences and market dynamics. So remember effective communication, highlighting the benefits and providing options are key to a successful transition. Phew. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> Let's talk about this hourly value pricing. Is that yes. what you said? Okay. Yep. All right. Tell me this concept because I, I don't understand the concept. Okay. So in my company, I have different things that you can choose to do. You can choose yeah. to have a bookkeeper, a control, or rather a bookkeeper, an accountant, a senior accountant, you know, all of those things. Okay. You could also choose to get them separate together. Mm -hmm. Like you need a bookkeeper and you also sure. want an accountant, let's say. Okay. So if all you want is bookkeeping, you can take the bookkeeper mm -hmm. at an hourly rate that's going to be less than what the accountant is going to be because for obvious reasons the accountant does a higher level work level of work than the bookkeeper does mm -hmm. however you also have the option to fix that monthly cost because of all the services that i offer there's hr there's so you're payroll. bundling it you can okay. bundle it okay i give my clients an option and an opportunity to bundle okay because we're in the business of growth management okay in three months we're going to be able to assess whether or not you're going to need an hr hey oh. hr you're you just got this big contract you're going to mm -hmm. start hiring you're going to need an hr a bookkeeper mm -hmm. is just not going to do it for you mm -hmm. and that's when we start bundling the package and making it a flat basically a flat rate Okay. Okay. I can see that. That is definitely value pricing. Um, I guess in my mind, this, I just, I guess this has nothing to do with so much value pricing, but I try to, because I feel like time kind of falls into cost. And so when you're hourly, you're again, focusing on time. Yes. yes. However, I would say that my cost hourly mm -hmm. for my company, is slightly higher than the norm okay because of all of the experiences you get by working with us there's a lot of things that come with it mm -hmm. so yes people pay a little bit more mm -hmm. to work with us mm -hmm. but they're also getting a lot more from us we're not just doing i'm going to stick with the bookkeeping here we're not just doing bookkeeping we're doing an assessment of your business. We're looking at how we can save you money. Mm -hmm. We're helping you with your budget. You know, we're doing a lot of bigger, bigger picture things, mm -hmm. if you will, where I'm doing an assessment of where your company is headed towards. Okay. You know, like that kind of stuff. And then we're thinking about who needs to get added in next in the next six months. Mm -hmm. Do you need somebody internal or external? Mm -hmm. Do you want one of our people or do you need somebody inside? Mm -hmm. That's not something a bookkeeper, just a general bookkeeping company is going to do. So you're saying that the value pricing part of this is the fact that you've you've priced your hourly rate based on the customer's perceived value of the role that they're getting? Is yes. that what it is? Okay. And I will also tell you that this works very well at Okay. Yes, this works very well with um, companies that provide goods. Mm -hmm. It's very similar, if mm -hmm. not exactly the same, mm -hmm. as companies that provide goods as okay. opposed to services. Okay. Even though mine is services, I've priced myself as though they are goods. And this is why. Um, growing up, I worked in a 
building where everyone was a jeweler. Everyone was a jeweler. So like you came up to the third floor, which is where I worked and every hall down every hall, like imagine a regular business building, like Mm -hmm. a general business building and every single person there was a jeweler. Interesting. Okay. Why would any of us be successful? Okay. How is it that we did not all cancel each other out? Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, how is it that a couple of them were making a lot more money, not a couple, but a few, quite a few of them were making a lot more money than the others. Okay. It's because of the kind of experience they were giving the client and they had return clientele. Mm-hmm. It's not like we were selling the, almost the exact same thing. In a lot of cases we were, mm-hmm. but there were levels of experience that you were getting from some of the other uh, businesses. So you knew that if you went to, um, if you went to Acme, mm-hmm. you knew that you were going to get a little bit better. It was a more of the high, high end jewelry store. Mm-hmm. They all sold the same thing. And that's okay. I get that part. I think it's the hourly part. I get, I get a little hung up on. I never thought about value pricing as being able to be done on an hourly to be as effective as value pricing goes. Right. Because it is okay. because I have tested out the value pricing uh-huh. and it did not work out for me okay. with my clients okay. quite as well. When I, when I okay. broke everything out yeah. and I looked at my company as more of a, like the goods, like uh-huh. the jewelry, uh-huh. how do I make it so that the, the hours themselves are, uh, whatever, um, silver, gold, platinum, you know what I mean? Interesting. Okay. That's what I did. And it mm-hmm. has worked out very, very well for me. Yeah, I think that may go back to, again, what niche you're in, right? Because I guess I'm seeing that the fact that you're a growth management company, clearly your clients are growing all the time. Mm-hmm. And you're not just providing bookkeeping accounting, you're providing HR, right? And then HR, payroll, payroll, there's accounting, there's controlling, there's uh, there's the executive admin, the office admin, the web, the strategies, you know, there's like uh, all of these different things that are, that are coming in. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to gauge or to guess mm-hmm. what the client's going to need every six months, mm-hmm. which is why we have a certain process. Mm-hmm. processes mm-hmm. we have certain processes to kind of ascertain what that is to try and pull out what what to expect how to project yeah. and to help a company grow yeah. more uh responsibly yeah. and successfully right so there really is no way that i could even though i tried it i did try it hey i tried mm-hmm. and it, it didn't yeah. really yeah, work yeah, out for test me. It, yeah i tested it and it didn't work out because we were like well now we got to add this oh well now we got to take that out now we got to add this one and then so i had to i had to make it more like it was products Uh uh-huh and less like uh service if you will Hmm. yeah and then a part of that is also complexity depending how many right so it's like again for you it's not one size fits all so i can Mm -hmm, kind of see how that like because i'm just thinking about like back when when i like did the value pricing thing i went the opposite way of you where i started with a lot of like ad hoc menu like Mm -hmm. items meaning that the client can basically customize their own package in a sense, mm-hmm. right? So I started that way um, and then quickly realized that wasn't effective pricing and it wasn't value pricing at the end of the day. So then we ended up bundling and basically packaging packaging what we did just so that they were given three options every single time. That's it. This is all the three options. You but get. you also only did one thing. Well, that's what I'm saying is I think yeah. for us it was a lot simpler because we did one thing. So we were very niche as to what's the client we're targeting 
And for those clients, and we were able to package it that way because like, we would say like, I mean, we would say stuff like, Hey, you know what? This is the package, like a, B and C and the client sometimes will be between B and C or something, right? Because there's something in C they want, but there's only one thing in C that they want. Um, but B is like a better fit for them. Right. And then for us, it allowed us to also probably sell more C because we're like, first, first of all, they're also fast paced growing company. So usually they need it in about six to eight months anyway. So it's just annoying to like have to redo our packages every once in a while while our companies are growing. So it was actually, it actually worked out well because then people just bought C because they need that this one particular thing, but then they're basically like, everybody's like ready to start, right? Mm -hmm. They just won't use the function they don't need yet or something like that. Right. So it's, it's, um, well, I don't know. I don't know if like, I think that only works in a situation if you are very much confined and you have a very limited amount of things you're offering, like services you're offering. Yeah. I would that argue. Have that many variables. Yeah. 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 And I would argue that, okay, so for example, let's go to candles. Let's say you're, you're selling candles, mm -hmm. you're, you're a candle shop and all you sell is candles. You might have some candles that you get that are, I don't know, like white barn candles and, and you know, you can only, you can sell them for 10 bucks. Yeah. That to me is cost based mm -hmm. pricing to yeah. me. Yeah. However, you might have these soy candles that you can, um, that are made with essential oils and they're higher level. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then those are going to be a little bit more expensive, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's a little bit more of a value. You have to take the value, what the mm -hmm. customer is going to be experiencing with that. And then let's say you might have, um, uh, create your own scent candle where you have a consultation with a client mm -hmm. and figure out what their personality sense are mm -hmm. and then create the candle according to mm -hmm. that. Would you still consider that cost base or would you see that as a value? Let's mm -hmm. say that candle's $40 compared to them just grabbing one and saying, this is a $10 one. I'm going to grab this one. Wouldn't you say that the experience the person is going to get, mm -hmm. they're going to get something that is just theirs. Mm -hmm. This is the scent of Tiffany. <laughs> if that was a candle yes so uh, well i think that if your pricing is based foremost on the client's perceived value of whatever candle experience or whatever then yes it probably would be value price right because mm -hmm. that's what you're spacing it on like you're not calculating your costs and then building a margin on top of that and then putting that out on a market and then you're adjusting your margins based on how much you want to make mm -hmm. not so much what the perceived value that you're giving to the customer. So if you do it that way, I feel like most of the time you don't think about, you don't think about experience. You don't think about the intangible stuff because to you, like it's not a hard cost that you can calculate in to figure out what your margins are. No, but if you're, huh? I disagree. I think that you can. I think what? that, am I, disagree am I disagreeing what? with How you? How dare you? What? No, 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 wait, what? <laughs> no, no, no. But I think, no, no, but I'm saying people who build from a cost perspective. Oh, I see. I see. Don't okay. consider those things mm -hmm, intangible. Mm -hmm. That's why I was like, I'm agreeing with you. Why are you disagreeing with me? I thought you meant the value. Agreeing. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, but from we the value. We were so close to disagree. Oh but the value part is you don't think about the cost first, right? right. You, you use the cost to double check and make sure you're not going to eat it. Of course. Right. right. But that's not the main, that's not the main starting point of how you decide what your pricing is. You mm -hmm. first think about the client's perceived value of what you're doing. Yes. Which is a lot of those intangibles that goes into it, the brand experience and stuff like that. So no, I just think it was interesting because I never thought about value. I think I've always equated value pricing to maybe like a set price versus yeah. just on a hourly, but I can see that. I mean, personally, if we ever had a point at counterpoint, I would say as a service-based company, don't go hourly ever, but we can counterpoint that some other time.
<laughs> I feel like you leave money on the table, but you also do like a whole bunch of things. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's the thing. Like I was much more strict. Like I, I, I think the client base I was working with didn't want a million options. They wanted me to tell, they wanted us to tell them, this is what you need. And then here, boom, we're done. Right. They just didn't. And then at your client, I think your clients will enjoy the fact that they can build up as they grow with you. So maybe mm -hmm. that's, that's, I'm kind of like the cheesecake factory of the business. Oh my world. gosh. Like seven. That's a good point. It's a book. Like, it's like a seven, 10 page <laughs> menu price. So not well, good for the decision, you know, people who are, uh, what is it? Paralysis decision. Yeah. Paralysis, decision paralysis. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I've never eaten there before because I'm too afraid. <laughs> too all you do afraid. is close your eyes and point. That's too, all you have I'm to do. I'm too afraid. Point. There's too many, too many things. I went there for, actually, I went there for dessert once. I'm more of like the chef's menu. This is what you're going to get. Yeah. You're going to love it, but this is what you're going to get. No, you can't change anything out. That is the price. Oh, and we're done. Yeah, man. That's great. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I went, I went to Cheesecake Factory once and I was like, I would like some cheesecake. And they were like, here's your 51 50 different, <laughs> different choices. Menus. Oh my God. I don't know what I want. Can I get five slices, please? Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, yes. I guess the, the, what I'm trying to draw out of you and um, to have it on record uh -oh. is so that our listeners who have um, businesses where they are more transactionary, those businesses that are maybe more, uh, maybe like a clothing store mm -hmm. or um, uh, a jewelry store or, you know, whatever kind of store, mm -hmm. a grocery store, whatever it may be, mm -hmm. you can still do value pricing, but not have to do everything on a value add pricing. You could do some of your products at a cost, you could, mm -hmm. and then have some other services that make you a little bit more elite to separate you from your, um, and this might be a different conversation. Well, this goes back well. to, again, who's your client, target who is your client, client? Who's, yeah. what's your niche, who you're trying to, you know, just like if you think about like, Sometimes every once in a while you'll find something that's a certain brand that is at Target, right? That's mm -hmm. also at Walmart, mm -hmm. right? But mm -hmm. they appeal to two different client, like Target markets. Tar tar yeah. And so they're priced accordingly because of their target market because they know what their target market is going to perceive as the value when For they sure. shop in their store. So I think maybe it's a little bit like that. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be clear. Otherwise you're just, you know, it's, it's not going to fit. It's not going to work. Well, now that we're at the raw truth, I'm going to give an uh -oh. excellent example of what we're talking about mm -hmm. here. So we're going to go into the raw truth where each we're where we each share a gritty experience with today's topic. Uh, we want you, the listeners, to know that success isn't easy. It's not pretty and it's certainly not a straight line. We hope you will hear our maybe cautionary tales and learn from them. So you take it away. Oh, I have to share first. <laughs> I yeah. like how this works. I mean, I could, sh I could share. I first. see how it is. We start <laughs> the section, then I gotta go for. It. Okay, just kidding. So I think my raw truth kind of went a little bit into the point and counterpoint, which uh -huh. is just about packaging and all this stuff. But I can also talk about how many times I ate it in the beginning because uh -huh. I didn't know how to do this properly, and I was a new business owner. I didn't know my market very well. Like I thought I did, uh -huh. you know, because. I was a career accountant. I've always been an accountant. Like how, mm -hmm. does, how hard accounting for a small business could be? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that was fun. Nah. Uh, small business owners, love them, hate them sometimes, but also love them very much. But <laughs> very unique in so many ways. And so there was a lot of different 
segments and different types of customers and so many options as to what your target market is. And I didn't understand niching very well then. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what it meant and I didn't really do it. And so I kind of ran into value pricing before I understood all those variables, which means I didn't, I didn't do it right. Mm -hmm. And so I ate it and I, to the day where I exited still, there was probably a handful of clients because I set the price so low to begin with that I couldn't get it back up. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I adjusted after a while, which is fine. And they accepted it, but still it was kind of like, I would have to adjust them like a hundred percent. Right. I was just like way off base because there were so many things that I didn't figure out beforehand. Mm -hmm. And then once I got all those elements, right, came back around and realized, oh crap, like my pricing is so off base now because I've added all these things that actually do add value, like customer support, like experience, mm -hmm. like brand and all these things that I didn't know how to get in place before I started the value pricing. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. Again, one of the many, many mistakes I made as a business owner that probably is possible. And yet somehow, and I have made all of them. Yeah, that's why we're here. <sighs> Something you think you might do? Don't worry, we've already done yeah, it. Yeah, we've already done it for you. So just ask us. We would love to share with you <laughs> our our tears. <laughs> so I also, I started with the cost-based pricing. When I started my company, it was just me. Mm -hmm. For the first six years, it was just me and the babe. The baby on my hip, working away. And I did offer, at that time, three different three different things. I offered bookkeeping, I think social media content, and what was the other thing? Admin. And I did all three of those things. Mm -hmm. um, and I had them pretty much priced about the same. Okay. Um, my head was in a lot of different places. So I did not grow as quickly as I think I could have because I had, you know, the, the baby I had, <laughs> there's that. I had a tween a little human being and a team. Yeah. And also adult human growing. Human mm -hmm, beings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So forgive me. Um, in 2018, uh, rather 2017 is when I started hiring people. I was six years in. Yeah. So it was 2017. I started hiring people in. And then I realized that not only did I need to start writing everything down, but I needed to reconsider my pricing. How was I going to create a, um, a perception that the kind of clients I wanted to have was going to see. Mm, there's that. I needed to put out the kind of message I wanted to be heard. To attract of, the right clients. Right. Kind of like a dolphin call or a dog whistle. I didn't want everybody hearing it. I just wanted certain people hearing it. <laughs> so uh, that's what I did. And between 2018 and 2020, I perfected it and perfected it and perfected it. And then in, in January of 2020, I was like, here I am, everybody. And I had raised my pricing and I had given everybody six months notice. And I, I had done all of the things that we talked about. Mm -hmm. The world shut down and I panicked a bit. And interestingly enough, my business did not falter. This is me, just me. Okay. So not everybody's business felt the same, but because of what we did and because of the unique situation I had created and the unique experiences that I was now offering, mm -hmm. people were flocking to us and it was the best advertising. It was the, it was the best advertising I hadn't paid for. It was insane. So we grew from a hundred percent from 
2020 to 21, another 100% between 21 and 22, and close to 75% between 22 and now, um, which we're only halfway through the year. Who knows what it's going to look like, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that that's that's why I say I had to price myself more similarly to goods yeah. than to services because that was what ended up growing my company. I mean, a hundredfold. Well, that's an interesting way that you thought about that because I didn't think about goods. Like I basically thought about my business and my packaging and what our services did more of like a product company. So I bundled everything together and said, this is my product. Mm-hmm. So, you know, can't change the shape. You can maybe change the color if I let you, but otherwise mm-hmm. it's pretty much about what you're going to get and you can't go around taking pieces off of it. Mm-hmm. So that's how I approach it. So it's kind of interesting that you did it at more yeah. like a goods. Yeah. Yeah. It's similar to yeah. like, say for example, you could go to anthropology and you can go to target and you can find pretty close to the same kinds of things. It's very, it's fascinating to me how much Target has been okay. um, emulating. Um, yeah, it's craziness. But anyway, so, and and um, like a couple of other clothing stores. Target would never smell the same way as anthropology when you walk never. in. Let's just be honest. Mm-mm. But that's part of the experience of anthropology. The scent, the feel. They're never going to have those linens hanging from the ceiling that you can feel. And it's like, oh, so pretty until you Mm -hmm. look at the price tag. And I'm like, oh, well, Well, it's going to remain there. No. Well, yes and no. You know, I if I have, you know, here I am with my cute little anthropology bag with a beautiful Mm -hmm. painting on it Mm -hmm. or whatever it is. You want to have that. Oh, I'm not saying there's no want. I'm just Mm -hmm. saying personally, I don't swipe my credit card for it because I was like, I need to stop myself. I do great. Yeah. But I do, I do, I do gift anthropology though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So see, I'll gift it to myself. But see, that's that's, that's what I'm saying. Like you could buy, I, I remember I had seen a spoon rest, a simple spoon rest, a spoon rest that was $18 at anthropology. It's about like a good 20 bucks. Yeah. It was $18. One very similar to it at target for $8. Guess which one I bought? Not the target one. So I, I, even though it could have, I could have spent less. I wanted to have that $18 one and unfortunately it broke. So now I don't have now my whatever. Anyway. Um, but what I'm saying is, is I wanted people to come into the house and be like, Ooh, that is a pretty spoon rest. Where did you get that from? Oh, that is from anthropology. How lovely. I feel like this is how men feel toward their clothes. The mm-hmm. ones who are picky about their clothing. Not not picky in a bad way, but um, had standards for mm-hmm. their clothing. Mm-hmm. Like these little details and experience they get in the store while they're getting tailored and fitted mm-hmm. or like, you know, trying things on. I think this all goes into why they end up buying clothing that is of a certain price, which you can probably get customized and, you know, done for overseas for like a fraction of the price, right? But you wouldn't men's do that because what's with the, yeah, or men's warehouse. Like mm-hmm. why would you, you, you're paying for the experience and you're paying for the brand, right? Because mm-hmm. you want somebody to be like, oh, where did you get that? And then, you know, says, yeah. whatever, whatever is. men brand is. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I would not know. My husband wears whatever he woke up in, so I'm not. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know any of the words that are coming out of your I mouth. barely, I barely pay attention to my own clothing. So for me to, <laughs> to like pay attention to like men clothing, it's, it's not. It's Buttons not and zippers. Me. What are I those? apologize to our male listeners. <laughs> like we will have to try to find more male appropriate comparisons. And, yes. 
you know what? Actually, you just tell us what we we should say. Yes. <laughs> For the men part. Yeah, let's switch it up a little. You tell us what our opinion should <laughs> yes. be. Um, <laughs> all right. Now we're moving on to yes. our famous example, because in each episode, we like to connect a famous example to our discussion to help you relate our talking points on a more global or well-recognized scale. We're revealing the dots between the living room startup and the success story on the cover of Forbes. Sometimes we use exact examples of either famous persons or successful businesses uh, or business owners of today or in history. And sometimes we use examples of people who inspire us and have inspired today's discussion. So today when we say we, we really mean Savannah. <laughs> All right, fine. Take um, it away. Take it away. All right. One of the most famous famous examples of a value add product to me is the diamond. Diamond, you say? true. <laughs> better yet, the entire diamond industry. Even better than that, the entire diamond industry for the entirety of there being a diamond industry. <laughs> Isn't it like one supposed to be one of the most common, like, um, Oh God. Gems or whatever, it's right? Fantastic. It's like the most common gem, but then like it's the highest priced one. And you're like, wait, what? What? Okay. So I'm going to go, I'm going to say it again. I worked in a jewelry store when I was young because yes, I am the complete human embodiment of, uh, <laughs> of an Armenian stereotype. <laughs> and I spent, I spent 15 years of my life working in jewelry. That's amazing. That's oh, yeah. You know, you were in the jewelry store. I, I was in the family, the Chinese restaurant. What did you expect? I yes. mean, come on. What do we look like to you? Um, one of the biggest misconceptions about diamonds is that they are rare. And therefore, having one makes you that much more special because you now own this rarity. Oh, there's not another like it. Diamonds, they're not rare. If so, we would have run out a long time ago. So what makes them so expensive? And why has every jeweler and jewelry store bought into the value pricing, bought the, into the value pricing to these. Because in the early 1800s, diamonds actually were quite rare. There weren't a ton of mines producing good gem quality stones. Now, there were a lot of diamonds, but they were being used on pickaxes and Probably eventually. glass or something. Mm -hmm. like those kind of more utility uses. Oh, yeah, they were. They were like, utility. Yeah, versus like, uh, well, what do you want to call it now? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't Passion. know that. They, yeah. Uh, I don't think that they have a need to do it anymore, but it used to be on the needle for a record player too. Um, certainly not something that you'd want to wear, but I mean, it was um, used a lot for, for situations like that. Mm. Anyway, um, at the turn of the century, uh, diamond mines were discovered in South Africa and the market became oversaturated, mm. but the message never changed. Why is that? Good old fashioned marketing. There are lab made diamonds that are just as good as the natural ones, but those are not as sought after as the mine stones. There are also stones that are rarer and thus more expensive than diamonds, 10 of them, at, in fact. Uh, but you likely don't know that because diamonds have a great PR machine behind them. I'll link in the show notes a list from the IGA that tells you which stones are more rare and expensive. I'll add to that that when I worked in one of those jewelry stores, my boss, who was also my uncle-in-law, don't ask, uh, was adamant about branding and experience. He would say, why do you think people spend three times as much to get a diamond from Tiffany's when they could spend less and get the same thing here? 
It's because of the experience, because of that beautiful bag. Tiffany's makes you think you're getting something extra special from them, even though it's really no different than what everyone else has. From the signature, it's a signature blue that they patent too, mm -hmm. so that they can always have on every one of their boxes and bags. Yeah. And like a great touristy thing you could do is have breakfast at so Tiffany's. Smart. Smart. It is. It's so smart. Also it's how I got my name. Is it really? It really was. Yes. I got named after the jewelry store. I mean, I was a little too young to protest and I didn't understand English. So I didn't really understand what was going on. Wow. But yes, that is. Um, yeah. I am so glad Hellsberg Diamonds did not make a movie. Um, <laughs> I could have been named Hellsberg. <laughs> yeah, you could have been Hellsberg. <laughs> Um, oh, the funny ways you get your name as an immigrant. I know it is so great. Um, anyway, he wanted to have that experience for his clients. He wanted an experience that he said is nothing like his competitors, even though my product is no different than theirs. That's what will set you apart from everyone else. That's how you can set your pricing at a price that people will pay because of the experience. He was right. I took that nugget and I applied it to my own company, mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier, won't, won't repeat myself. Um, mm -hmm. It's a level of value people will happily pay for and the core of what is considered value add pricing. It's what it's all about. And I say this whenever people say to me, how can I set myself apart? How can I make more money? How can I get more clients? It always comes down to experience how are these people going to walk away from you? Um, I will also mention one more thing. Um, because I was in the music industry many, many, many moons ago. Mm -hmm. It was also something that was reiterated to me at that time. Uh, so at every show, my booking manager would put um, some kind of scent in the um, air system. Like it Very would be smart. either like, I don't know, something nice, something that smelled really lovely in the club. Literally when the, when the club was opening up, he would have some, some kind of incense or something that would be blowing through mm -hmm. and people started to associate that scent with me. I don't remember what it was, but it did smell very, very nice. Um, anyway, so he was like, people's senses need to be heightened in order to remember you. And since the nose is the most closestly closest related or correlated to your memory, you have to have a scent that will correlate with you. Mm -hmm. So the way the place looked, the way the lighting was done, the kind of scent that was um, permeating the the air, the air, mm -hmm. whatever it was, all of the scent, all of the um, sensations were being utilized, and it really helped propel me at that time. At a time when we didn't have YouTube or TikTok or imagine that all of those other things. So anyway. Hmm. So there's a saying that goes, put your money where your mouth is. And we're going to drill down a bit further here to connect what we've discussed at a granular level to tangible sources you can take to get you to that next level. Mm. <clears throat> so I'm recommending three books, one of which I actually, which was what got me into value pricing was I mm -hmm. read the uh, Ronald Baker book called Implementing Value Pricing. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my first foray into it. Again, also read it way too early, clearly, because I didn't <laughs> really understand all the elements into it. But once you do, it actually makes it, it it's a good book to start with. Um, there's also another book. It's called Value Based Fees, How to Charge What You're Worth and Get What You Charge. That's by Alan Weiss. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty interesting one. And then last but not least, I think I recommended this book before. It's from John Warlow, which is called Automatic Customer. Mm -hmm. So this is about subscription-based pricing and um, how to actually implement that, which I feel like is an element of value pricing and um, 
obviously all the rage thanks a lot to Salesforce and all that stuff. Now subscription pricing is everywhere. And I, I, I'm a true believer that if you can, uh, any business, even a service-based business, if you have recurring revenue, you're much stronger and much more valued as a business as a whole. Um, but I guess we can argue that some other time too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Unless you're building a legacy business where you just want the clients to be retained as long as possible. Yes, forever. stay, stay or forever, ever, and ever. I may have said that value thing as in, if you would like to sell it, <laughs> people love buying businesses that have recurring, recurring uh, subscription. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're giving me ideas. Mm, over to you. I have a few different suggestions. I'll start with the platforms. There's Wiser, which will be linked in the show notes. This platform is a pricing tool that tracks prices, automates repricing, and manages pricing strategies. If you have multiple types of products and services, maybe you have products and services, um, or have pricing based on location, like if you live in this state, it costs this much, this state, it costs that much, this may be a good tool for you. Next, I have Talon One. According to their website, they build upon simple rules to create effective strikethrough pricing campaigns and synchronize SKU or SKU level pricing and promotions with your PIM and shopping systems in real time. Lastly, I have Price Intelligently. This pricing software collects data from your clients by conducting a pricing audit and analyses. There are a few great articles about switching to value add pricing, and we're going to link those as well. And in the end, you know your area, you know your product, and you know the problems you solve. I've always been a huge fan of creating an experience creates value. Hence the story I just told. Uh, I will pay more for a better experience. That's me. I will do it in a heartbeat. Uh, and I promise your clientele will as well. Trust your instincts and your talent, and you'll find once you switch to value-based pricing, you're not going to go back. Stick with it, even if you run into a few bumps. Yep. I think in the long run, it's it's going to serve you better. Absolutely. It's a little hard to wrangle it in the beginning, mm -hmm. but you know, if not, like certainly talk to people who've done it. Mm -hmm. You know, get some insight from others. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Please join us for our next episode, where we will discuss why you shouldn't own a business. <laughs> if you're thinking about starting a business or opening up a different business or in another location, we're going to share what questions you need to have answers to before you take that step. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a fun one. So we're much fun. Maybe we should get our own shot glasses. <laughs> I know. I know. I feel like we're going to sound like your parents here. Why should you not do these things? But you know what? It, they are things because not every, lots of people have great ideas, but not everyone's great ideas should be, I feel like. Um, Just because you're, you have a great idea doesn't mean you're an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur or. That yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what entrepreneurship is. And it yes. gives people all these grand ideas that, yep. you know, oh, it's all about the, it's not. Mm -hmm. So you should know the truth or somebody, you know, should know the truth, which means forward them our episode. Yes. But, it will be uplifting because the great thing is now that you know and mm -hmm. you're prepared, you can still make the decision to go forward with it, but with greater knowledge. Yes. Be responsible. Mm -hmm. uh, please show us your support by following us on your preferred podcast platform, social media, and YouTube. Say that three times fast. We'd love for you to also share our episodes. All of our links are posted below. Until next time, mind the business behind your business because all great successes mm -hmm. start small.